Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. This is Byron O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. Today I'm super excited because I'm getting to sit down with Reg Lockhart. Yay, way, you are, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I know he won a Glad Award. It was from my favorite graphic novel last year, Liebestrauss. I know my German isn't great. Thank you very much. As I was saying, yes, it did win a comic book Eddie Ice Award. Will you stop interrupting me? Don't sulk. Anyway, I'm fortunate enough to get to interview Greg today about his new comicsology original graphic novel, Trick Pony, that he created with illustrator Anna David, letter Lucas Gattoni. Greg, thanks so much for coming on the show today to chat comics with me. Sorry about the Yeti. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me, and thank you for being so kind about Leva Strassa and Trick Pony, and I really appreciate your support. Oh, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when I originally saw this was coming out and I read the log line, you know, a washed-up rodeo star heads home to visit his father in the hospital. While on the road, he confronts the mistakes of his past and the monsters of his present. I thought I had a pretty decent idea of what to expect, but it kind of turns out I was delightfully not what I expected and actually way more than anticipated. So let's start out kind of with influences. I was reading recently that you cited a bunch of different movies, but the ones that stuck out was like My Own Private Idaho, The Wizard of Oz, Red River, and The Misfits, which had an impact on the story. And that's a kind of an interesting amalgamation. So how do these pieces kind of fit together? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I can't, uh, they, yeah, they, they fit together in a strange way for me too. It was, it was, it was mostly that starts from a, a place of wanting to create something that kind of turned the, the typical trauma of like the West of, of queer people in Western stories and what we've kind of seen uh, like on its head so um red river uh had has like a behind the scene it, it has some like homoerotic elements that like film uh film buffs and film historians like to talk about but there's a behind the scenes montgomery cliff was kind of bullied whether or not he was gay or bisexual or anything uh was kind of bullied behind the scenes um and so that was sort of what i was trying to turn on its head with trick pony and the same with you know everyone when you say gay cowboy everyone thinks of brokeback mountain so yeah yeah like the we wanted a story that did hopefully completely the opposite of broke mountain mountain in some ways um but still telling an epic love story so that was the initial um, twist for us. But then, yeah, the, so it, it quickly was, I, I knew it wasn't going to be, it was going to be a road trip story. And then Wizard of Oz is like structurally a really famous road trip uh, that a lot of, you know, the, the, friends, the friends of Dorothy uh, nickname for the, gay men have used in the past uh there, there's always there's a lot of connective tissue to the queer community and the wizard of oz 
um, story. So I, I think that's where that started to get pulled in, like kind of naturally. And uh, I think, you know, my own private outhill, it was so formative for me as a teenager that it kind of uh, stuck and it kind of influences everything I do. So this in the in the sur- surreal quality um and like some of the acid western elements of trick pony is kind of over the connection to to that gus von Sant film okay well if there if there's one genre that can be separated as kind of truly american it has to be western um i remember as a kid yes. watching marshall andy and the writers of the silver screen on like the pbs affiliate where i grew up in east tennessee and we were introduced to like many a B Western and singing cowboys. So what captures your mm-hmm. own heart about Westerns as a genre? Yeah. The, yeah. The, the truly American aspect, I think. Um, and yeah. And then just the, cause uh, yeah, family connections and the, to country music and, 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 farm culture and all that, all those elements that are just kind of like my, my favorite parts of my family are those, those people, they're hardworking, they're caring, they're, it's, uh, it's a really fertile place to go to for the storytelling, which I think is why we keep telling these stories over and over. (laughs) Well, your main character, Jimmy Thomas, rodeo star. Um, back in the day, my days on the road and stuff, I know some of the older writers and PBR professional bull riding association. So I know a little bit about the lifestyle anyway. And there's, there's this mythology about the radio, right? The, you know, Mm -hmm. dusty cowboys might as well carry around basically Captain America shields in terms of how entrenched their iconography is embedded into the fabric of like the classic consciousness of our country. Um, Mm -hmm. they immediately invoke like bravery, fearlessness. They aren't fallible, you know, sometimes even in failure, um, they get thrown off a bull or missing lasso. So why kind of choose that, that setting that backdrop to inject sort of this inherently flawed character into? Um, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Like I think, cause getting, yeah, kind of back to what I was saying earlier, the, it's the West that these cowboy stories have like also like a history of like in in fiction, at least being like exclusive and erasing racial minorities and and indigenous people or um, playing to stereotypes. And so, yeah, it it was, it, it started off as just a simple me wanting to, tell a cowboy story and then and, and just the the lightheartedness of the entertainment aspect and the the it kind of being super separated from actual cowboy work or you know like actual like the the jimmy being a rodeo star kind of helped separate him into being more towards entertainer Sure. Where like his rodeo skills at one point crossed over, and it's more about the show, for sure for me. So yeah, just make someone that was, and and, um, 
uh, disenfranchised from, I guess, the the show that, that they were in kind of to echo maybe aspects of my perspective on the exclusiveness or the, the history of, of violence or, um, or other things uh, that were something I think we wanted to create space for change. And so hopefully that this world shows kind of a really inclusive version that maybe is, is, is not maybe is idealized and, and maybe more fantastical, um, but sort of like speaking it into existence. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, it makes it makes perfect <laughs> sense. I mean, especially okay. what you were referencing earlier. So one of my other notes, you know, aside from being mm-hmm. prototypically masculine, right? Cowboys have mm-hmm. also been scenes of a kind of icons of American hetero heterosexuality. You know, we've right. seen inroads towards breaking some of that. You know, prominently Brokeback Mountain. More recently, we've had Little Nas X kind of kind of challenging some mm-hmm. of that. Um, I will throw an honorable mention out there to Cowboy Curtis and Pee Wee's Playhouse, but like maybe that that hurt more than helped. I, I don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is no, I mean, not for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pee Wee and Pee Wee's Big Adventure too is a road trip movie that is probably should have been number eleven on that list of films I put together. I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's such a oh, great movie. That's, yeah, that's great. Well, was was your intent ever to? to carve out, I guess, a little more space for queer identity kind of into that that pillar of American heterosexual archetype, or you're just, hey, I'm just writing my story, man. Don't read too much into it. <laughs> yeah, no, I wish I like I had that lofty a goal, you know, when I started, but I think like general anxiety about the creative process would never let me like think that grand but yeah you know i do hope i mean that's what you know as i've been talking to people since we finished like that's sort of part of the conversation that's sort of what i hope this is whether there's more story for anna david the artist and co-creator for us to do more in this world or just that hopefully it succeeds and there's there's um the the comic book publishing in in North America sees like maybe there's more room for these stories because we don't really have like Western comics aren't maybe as popular here as maybe they are in Italy or France or those markets. Um, so yeah, I hope there's yeah there's more. This this creates more space for a diversity of stories for sure. That would be a wonderful result. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's focus kind of on the the visual tapestry for a minute. Um, I like to call it that because there's a a lot of complexity Mm -hmm. to it. Um, Anna's work really stood out to me. Um, Line work there was really minimal. Um, It's kind of more reliant on color to fill in a lot of the spaces. So how did the the two of you meet and kind of what was the mutual approach putting the visuals together for all that? Yeah, that's a great story. V. Gagnon is an artist who I'm working with on a, a, as an editor. Um, I freelance edit uh, as well. And I have a project that's unannounced, but V is the art, artist and co-creator on that. And through the course of this book getting approved for Comixology, um, I originally didn't have an artist attached to it. Um, okay. 
it was like a one sheet uh, <laughs> to, to Comixology when they asked after Liebestrasse, my first graphic novel with them, and first graphic novel with anyone uh, as writer, uh, finished. And, you know, they were like, yeah, we, we loved it. We want to see another one. Like, what do you have? And this was like the story I had had in my head for a pretty long time. Um, and, but just, yeah, never had started real work on it as a graphic novel. And um, it gets approved. I'm t- and uh, trying to streamline the story, but the um, uh, lots of artists don't like drawing horses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, this, yeah, it's a thing, <laughs> and it's it's legitimate. Their, their anatomy is weird. It's it's tricky. Um, and in, in this story, as it was shaping up, um, there was going to be a horse uh, on every page, essentially. So I had to find a, a horse-loving artist, and back to V. We were talking, and I was uh, lamenting how you know difficult it had been, um, and or to find someone who was available and interested in drawing horses. Uh, and V had a friend who was a fellow graduate of MICA, the art school in Baltimore. Um, and uh, yeah, Anna had done fan art for Red Dead Redemption. I'm not a gamer, so that I'm, I, but that I do believe is the game. Uh, they were kind of like demonic-y horses, like like you'll see in the in the graphic novel, like with um, yeah, just beautifully rendered. Um, and instantly, when I saw those, I knew Anna was the artist and co-creator that I needed. So luckily, I sent the one sheet, and I'd sent some. Uh, some mood boards, you know, using some of the films you mentioned and um, some some character design reference ideas I had and um, costume design, the nudie suit and the, uh, uh, which are those, you know, those really flamboyant um, rodeo and country western musician costumes, uh, staples too. Uh, and the electric horseman, which is, uh, Jane Fonda and Robert Redford, and and he's in a, a sort of a nudie suit that has like lights attached to it in that film. Um, so sending all that to Anna, and Anna just you know jumped in right away and and was drawing character designs and and like landscapes and stuff, and it was just so beautiful. You know, like you said, um, light light line work and really just like that quality, like almost painterly quality that reminds me of children's fantasy books and 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 old old school animation and just yeah everything was perfect or, or beyond it was like it it's a weird feeling when you've written something or it lives in your head and then someone else takes it and an artist creates it and makes it real and usually like there's that magic moment where they're doing like it feels like exactly what you wanted, but it's also like beyond what you could imagine on your own as a non, as for, at least for me as a non-artist. Um, and yeah, that was Anna with everything she was turning in. So that was our origin story, I think. A little convoluted, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the the concept designs with the, with the nudie mm-hmm. suits, which I kind of always think about Gene Autry in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this really rich material culture to kind of explore with those and in the world. Um, 
it's kind of done with the those selective embellishments, like the suits and the bolder colors um, that, that mm-hmm. complements Anna's style. So were there were there elements that kind of just you really really wanted to include in the clothing there? Yeah, I, I yeah I wanted that suit just as like as a like almost like a his superhero costume. Okay. Um, but then you know very quickly we both realized that drawing that also page after page would kind of be difficult too. So we got, we got him out of the suit for the road trip, <laughs> but he wears it for the show his his last night at the rodeo. And um, yeah, and after that, it, it, it did end up kind of being better that he wasn't in it because it, there was an element of, uh, of at least for me in the scripting that wanted to keep things certain aspects like generalized so that um, Jimmy had an opportunity to kind of uh, have more space for the readers to project onto. Well, and kind of Jimmy's journey, there's this odd sort of mythology to it. I kind of mentally equate it to something like Scrooge in the Christmas Carol, although you know the Wizard of Oz makes perfect sense. You can you can see these points of reference. Um, for me, that that fantastical element wasn't anticipated, and I don't want to give too much away. But like the the nightclub mm-hmm. scenes with the the marine layer overlays were really fantastic, um, and Anna created created these wonderful transition zones with their color choice. So mm-hmm. that was the that most unexpected part of the the read journey for me. I didn't anticipate moving through what amounts to, you know, that dreamlike experience. It was a bit trippy, really. Good. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that was, yeah, that's what I want. I mean, I wanted hallucinogenic, the uh, dream, yeah, mixing dream and reality and mixing, you know, uh, the flashbacks with the present. And yeah, like you said, Christmas Carol, like th- that, that, um, was heavy in my thoughts as, as we were trying to figure out and land on exactly what different monsters and, um, or people <laughs> or whatever, anywhere between that, that Jimmy was going to encounter on the ride home. Um, but yeah, definitely that. Cause he, it was, yeah, just an element of like his alcohol and drug abuse being represented in, in that, um, and kind of spilling into reality because it's a comic and I wanted it to do something that, you know, you couldn't do the same way anywhere else. Um, but taking advantage of making, like you said, the, the, the bar scene and the, the fish tank kind of crossing over being like the first, like just sort of teach like the first element of that, those worlds bleeding together and, and kind of giving, the readers a moment of oh this is this is gonna be something different and and showing them kind of what this trip was going to be about it's really fun so with with the wizard of oz was how literal was it because like there there's one scene where is jimmy actually leaving the emerald city you know is that is that a direct mm-hmm. correlation mm-hmm. yeah there was definitely like a yeah, leaving leaving the Emerald City was the 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 symbolism that we wanted. Yes, yeah, okay. yeah definitely. Um, because 
Yeah, he had he had the perfect setup when you're at the story. The only thing that was ruining his Emerald City moment was himself. Um, so yeah, that that was very um, uh, on purpose. <laughs> and well, just the yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. Um, yeah, it, it created this this really strong transition zone. And like those transition mm-hmm. zones are one of the things that just really jumped out to me about how the story moves. Um, was there a specific kind of number of those transition zones from the beginning that you were you were kind of trying to establish? So like phases of Jimmy's journey, if you will, um, or it's a graphic novel. I assume it sort of started that way. Are they, are they issue breaks? You know, like how did you go about constructing that? Mm, that's great. Yeah. No, I, I do like. Uh, I, I I love transitions when they're done well in comics. Uh, and it's something I think a lot about when I'm I'm writing my own. Uh, I was I don't think I had a specific number. I did you know like reflecting on like Wizard of Oz. Maybe like three was a sweet spot, but yeah, it was more about how which which moments covered what we needed to yeah where jimmy was at in the in the in the journey home and and in the flashbacks um to his past so i and following like a like to your point of or your question about issue breaks there was a moment where i would considered asking comicsology to uh divide it into issues just more for the sake uh, of uh, having more moments to promote it. Okay, sure, yeah. You know, like to be like sharky about it, but it it never felt natural. So it didn't get past, you know, me thinking about it at my desk. It was not like I never pitched it to them. Um, so maybe that first section is probably closer to, 24 pages than the other possible sections and transitions but um yeah it never naturally felt like it would be satisfying if you split it up that way it really i think for at least for me you need to be in it and you need to be allowed to just be absorbed in that world for those 100 pages because it's not text heavy it's not you know you there's no thought on purpose there's no narrative captions or, or thought you're not what you see is what jimmy sees um and uh yeah all the insight is him talking to his horse emmy lou so yeah that's a really good question i do love i love thinking about that stuff but yeah for me it was it never it never could have been smaller issues but yeah, luxuriating in those transitions is so fun for me because, like you said, Anna's landscapes and and those quiet pages, yeah, are just so delightful for me because you can just let your artist and and your creative partner just shine. All right, that seems like a good spot to take a quick break and pay some bills. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what a Yeti likes to drink in the morning? It's no mystery. Just like you, Yetis enjoy a great cup of coffee. 
That's why Comic Book Yeti has teamed up with Flint, Michigan-based Rootless Coffee Company for our second year of collaboration, featuring breakout indie comic star Lane Boyd. Lane created their own unique Yeti design that is featured on every bag of our limited medium roast Brazilian origin coffee. Head on over to rootlesscoffee.com to snag a bag before they are all gone. You wanted me to tell you it has notes of dark chocolate, dried fruits, almonds, and cherry. Because our Yeti is bougie. We're back. I guess in terms of additional kind of themes that you're exploring, you know, with Jimmy and with the book, there seems to be that that examination, those quiet moments of kind of city versus the natural world or natural environment. Maybe mm-hmm. this is just the the tree hugger in me, you know, but there's a portrayal. <laughs> Well, I, you know, there's this beautiful yeah. portrayal of the desert landscape as particularly pristine, especially as a counterpoint to the Emerald City or 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 really any any city environment, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. Jimmy has that transformative mental moment in his interaction with flowers, especially in a couple of instances. Mm-hmm. You know, and back in my days as a landscape photographer, those are some of the most ephemeral and you know rare moments when the desert just becomes carpeted with wildflowers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I remembered, you know, in, in the book there, it really stood out these, these vast fields, um, of sunflowers, which I kind of associate with, with Northern California. And this is kind of his mm-hmm. I'm home or return moment. So it seems like there's a bit of tying in nature to, to Jimmy's mental health. Or again, mm-hmm. maybe I'm just a tree hugger, you know? No, no, no. I mean, I, yeah, I also, right. Like the, the fields of uh, um, wild poppies, you know, we definitely referenced those when we were like building out landscapes and, and yeah, I definitely, we went back and forth with different plant life, cacti, all that stuff and wanted, you know, wanted enough of the, again, with the transitions and you know, on any road trip through anywhere in the American Southwest and West and, and Central, like um, some areas, the, the landscape changes so fast and it, it's so magical the way you can like have red rock formations on one side of your car and a forest with a, you know, snow-capped mountain on the other. And yeah, from, from road trips in my past and, and one specific on, on like, in the, during the creation of this one, that was sort of what we were going for. And just, yeah, like, you know, like the, the sunflowers maybe not being the, the per, like, um, the correct crop, you know, to where Jimmy's, like, family's farm is, but the sunflowers being, like, something, like, sentimental and, uh, yeah, just like the right plant that <laughs> we wanted, and so sure. yeah, he's he's traveling through like the I like there's there's references and specificities, but it is like not a specific location in our Southwest. But yeah, I love I love plants. I I was a child gardener and <laughs> as a little nerdy kid with my grandmother and mom, and so that stuff yeah was really important to me and, and really sentimental. Um, but yeah, not, maybe the, I don't know if Jimmy ends up, it's not like a specifically like rejection of city. Okay. 
I'm not sure. Yeah. We haven't it's seen totally the last interview. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> no, we all, yeah. we all take from a story what we take from a story. It's great mm-hmm. that you know, people can yeah. have different things. So did you totally. did you actually grow up in California? Because it sort of feels in a way like that that environment. Like I yeah, I hear you talking mountains on one's pristine mountains on one side, red rocks on the other. I immediately think of like Eastern Sierra Corridor. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that um, I lived in San Francisco briefly, but I I was born in New Jersey. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so kind of far from all of this, <laughs> with the exception of maybe some farm land and some horse riding yeah 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 Yeah, but it yeah so it's always fast it's always um i've always been fascinated by it you know i I, even moving to california was like a big fantasy for me so and then having a chance to explore you know while living there um was great but yeah i'm uh i'm an east coaster Fortunately, or unfortunately, more or less my whole <laughs> life. Although I've lived in eight different states, so okay, nice. Yeah, been around mm-hmm. everywhere. There was one little piece is coming totally random um, of mm-hmm. of visuals that intrigued me. So, and that was why does Jimmy have heterochromia? Um, he's got one blue and one brown eye, so it felt too pronounced to have context. Yeah, it was. Um... It has context, but it's actually just really simple um, flourish by Anna um, okay. as we, when we were doing character sketches. And, um, you know, immediately myself and Will, the editor, Will Dennis, um, just thought it was perfect because it's just a, a, the, a great represent, physical representation of his different way of seeing the world. Okay. Makes a lot yeah. Of sense. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it was not something. It was it definitely. I have to fully credit Anna on that one because I. It was not anything I referenced, but instantly it was like that's so cool. Like that's <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, that's yeah. It's, it's, by myself. it's really standout. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, yeah. that's. Really it also just kind of embraced. It was a very quick snapshot of, it kind of instilling Jimmy into the environment. Right. So all the things we were talking about earlier about um, what cowboys traditionally have been perceived of. And you immediately get this very up close visual reminder of other. Right. That's mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Good. Good, good. That's great. Yeah. That's all. All you can hope for uh, with that. Well, I was reading on your Substack that it's been you know, decade or so that this has been germinating in your head. Um, I'm not, I'm not typically known as a patient person. So that seems like an incredibly long time to me, you know, were there like those mental or logistical roadblocks that were in place that kind of kept pushing the idea back or, you know, why, Uh, why did it come out now? Uh, having the, uh, the, um, ability to do it is partially why, um, it, yeah, cause it, if I it, I've had the idea, I wouldn't say I was working on it for ten years. So some of the logistics were, I was an employee of DC Comics, and at, at that point in time, um, I think it's still true. Like you couldn't freelance, you couldn't write as like an editor. You couldn't write or draw, um, 
for another company. And that at that point included like self-publishing. Okay. So while I had some self-publishing experience with Tim Fish, the artist and co-creator of Liebestrasse, and some other friends, um, while I was at DC, most of that was put on hold. So, but, but then also indirectly learning more about comic creation process and the amount of networking I did in that time at DC kind of also allowed for the trick pony and Liebestrasse to happen because they're both sort of non-traditional or a little bit outside of the graphic novel mainstream, maybe in terms of subject matter, especially historical fiction or queer historical fiction in the case of Liebestrasse. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, like that, Liebestrasse created the opportunity for Trick Pony to happen, and um, yeah, that was, the, that was the delay, hopefully without bloviating too much on my <laughs> resume. <laughs> well... Okay, so you've got these two graphic novels that are out. Are you are you finding that you would characterize this as a niche? And by niche, I mean you enjoy ripping our hearts out with these lost love tales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that is so funny. You know, when you're in it and you have a certain perspective on it, and like you said, like I, like the, um, like David Lynch is really good about saying, like I don't want to talk about it, like. The, the the film goers yep. figure out the meaning. Like I also like just I just you know the the readers usually are smarter than you. So, um, I at that point like I thought this one was happier. <laughs> so when people are telling me, I was like, oh, we, you know, we got a nice story. <laughs> so when people are telling me they're getting their hearts ripped out by Jimmy, I see it now. But it wasn't my goal. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do like love stories. I do thing we don't especially in modern comics and some especially the mainstream stuff like i think sometimes the like the most exciting aspects to these characters are their like romantic wants and needs and in those relationships i mean like lois and and clark kent like that stuff is like the smallville and the daily planet of it all like all these so yeah that's where my interest usually veer towards um but yeah but then just seeing where you can hide it in like your favorite comic book genres is kind of fun challenge so yeah i will i am kind of a melodramatic (laughs) lover of those stories so it will probably continue if i'm allowed to keep doing them but I, I for one hope that you do and that it doesn't <laughs> Thank change. You. Enjoy the hell out of it. Um, Thank you. So what else are you up to? I know you have quite a bit going on as an editor. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a writer right now, I don't really have anything I can talk about. You know, I'm just kind of hustling new pitches and doing some and some stuff is in research stages and, and building stuff out. Um, but yeah, my the, my day job and the what, what mostly pays the bills is freelance editing. Okay. Um, so I have a, a bunch of projects uh, that are currently active and keeping me busy. And um, I'm working with James Tynan, the fourth on his books through his Substack newsletter, 
Um, one is Blue Book, which is him and, and Michael Ivan Oming uh, doing nonfiction UFO stories and retelling them as as comic books, and it's uh, really cool. The first the first arc is um, Eddie and Barney Hill, which is sort of the first abduction story or an early one that kind of shapes kind of how we see most UFO abductions these days. And uh, that's coming out from Dark Horse right now in print. And uh, yeah, and then uh, Jeff Lemire's image books. I'm editing those for him and his co-creators, which are uh, Dustin Wynn on Little Monsters. Which is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. And Dustin's such a such a crazy talented artist. Um, it's it's really cool to work with him again. And Andrea Sorrentino on the the Bone Orchard Mythos, which is their new horror series of interconnecting graphic novels. And the newest one is uh, Phantom Road with uh, Gabrielle Hernandez Walta, uh, who's an artist I've wanted to look, I've known for a long time, and wanted to work with for. Um, as longer i think and uh yeah that one's very cool and very like horror but like also sort of lynchian and also a road trip through a american southwest <laughs> but in a truck that's a okay. little yeah 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 well, and fun. i noticed you've been teaching graphic novel scripting at new york university too like doing writing workshops you know are you are you interested in doing more teaching i am yeah like well, it, I've only done two um, two semesters at NYU. Um, it's not an ongoing position. It, it, you know, they they offer the the graphic novel scripting course every other year um, in the theater department. Um, so it's kind of fun because yeah, it, it was so it's so cool to see the change from when like I was an undergrad writing student to now where like in my workshops, everyone was like, Oh, this is too much of a comic book or this. It, at that point, like genre fiction wasn't not to date myself, but genre fiction wasn't <laughs> as cool as it is now. And, 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 and my fellow students didn't have like comic book literacy either. And now, and then you know, I walked into these, these NYU workshops and all of those students were reading manga, were reading graphic novels and this, you know, less of the class was about me doing like the Scott McCloud overview and more about like just them diving into it and just like throwing ideas and references at them and helping them, you know, do some of the technical stuff that we kind of know. Um, it's secondhand to us as like comic book, longtime comic book readers, but, um, yeah, just helping them fine tune that stuff. So yeah, that was a thrill. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that'll happen again next year. And I'm doing a, I'm going back to my undergrad and doing like a guest lecture um, class with my old writing professor. Nice. And, um, yeah, and they have the English department now has a graphic novel course, oh. and I'm gonna like jump into that too. Yeah, which is just wild to me because I wrote my. Um, uh, my English literature thesis on the Invisibles. <laughs> I think there was no uh, comic book option in my course load, but I did my independent study there. So it's cool that they've, 
yeah, but it's grown into something. Um, oh, it's really exciting. Such amazing access now. It's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's like so much. It's cool when you can see those changes in your lifetime. It's pretty exciting. Well, where can people find you online? Uh, my website is greglockard.com. Uh, and I'm also Greg Lockard on Twitter, but I am not a consistent user of that uh, social media. And I'm, I'm Pink Pop RX on um, Instagram, which is an old uh, AOL screen name circa The Invisibles and me thinking I was a cool undergrad. <laughs> Oh, that's that's okay. I have a I have a legacy email that is like my my road name from my days as being a roadie. So like that's yeah. Oh, amazing! Yeah, it yeah. Haunts, haunts me all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's so great. I get it. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the time I thought I should professionally change my Instagram, it was too late, and Greg Lockhart was um taken by someone else. <laughs> so that's okay. It makes for a good yeah. story. Yeah, right. Everyone loves retro. Yeah, that was the peak of the internet for me. So I miss it. <laughs> Mine was MySpace. So like, I don't, oh. know, I don't know what that says. Let's just move on. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I always like to finish up um, with my last question, which is about the hustle, the hustle of being a creative. Uh, you know, the, mm. the work of, of a creative is to hustle hard if you're going to have success. So this is kind of your piece of advice to the creator listening trying to get their project launched or considering a career in the field. Um, since you kind of work with some of the biggest names in the business as an editor, I'd kind of like you to put on your editing cap for this one. So as an editor okay. specifically, you know, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, you, as an editor or as a writer, I think my advice would be the same. Like you, you have to believe in that project with your whole heart. And, you know, cause you, if, um, if you're a writer, you need an artist to sign on to build this world with you. And if you're an artist, you need to, yeah, maybe, yeah, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, the, 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 it's going to take a lot and you're, and you're not going to get it as obviously my career and the length in between projects and, and how long it took me to, to get some writing credits too. Um, it took a long time, you know, and, and I, I took a side trip, side, a side journey, a side quest. Um, but like all that was worth it. And so all that like persevering and, and getting that knowledge and, and wasn't how I had envisioned it, but things were lining up and I, I was saying yes, I, I was saying yes and, and finding new projects that came my way that maybe that led in a direct to the direction I needed to get that just I hadn't seen. So yeah, the perseverance with either if it's a specific project or just, or, or just your career in general, you're gonna, um, there's so many people that want to work in this field because it's all, it's really my favorite hobby and, and lots of other people's. And so there's a lot of competition and that, and that's good because it just makes everyone do better, but yeah, you're going to have to keep pushing past no's or, 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 or mm, indifference, you know, you have to push through all that. And so 
loving and believing in the project is the best advice because you're like you're that energy people will pick up on and that if you're excited about it it usually helps getting other people excited from artists to uh editors or publishers and all that stuff sales at the you know if you're if you're not excited on the floor of a convention with your zine no one's gonna want to read that on the train or plane ride home so yeah definitely keep keeping that enthusiasm and excitement for your work is is key it's it's hard you know like that's the the struggle and the mental health aspects of it all but um yeah that's probably my most my best most general advice well chick pony is out now on comiXology you can read it for free if you have comiXology comiXology unlimited um, and if not, you can snag it for $6.99. And yes, you heard that right. If I'm understanding it right, $6.99 for a graphic novel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Digital, I mean, digital only, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the whole thing. you almost pay um, that for a variant cover of a single issue these days. That's true. I know. And just think about how much of my heart is in this project. So it's a steal. It, it is a steal. <laughs> People should... They should do themselves a favor and read it. And while it's they're at it, it they, they should make sure to grab Liebestrasse 2, which was, you know, mm-hmm. my personal top graphic novel recommendation for 2022. So it's that good, in my opinion. Thank um, you. But I wanted to thank you also for uh, this one last Bill Nye moment in the book, because I had no idea what TLEs or transient luminous events are, uh, which are apparently caused by electricity um, or electrically induced forms of luminous plasma that can take on these these different forms and shapes and colors. In the book, it was the blue lights amongst the herd of, of cattle. That's fancy shit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, St. Elmo's fire. Um, yeah, it was just sort of like the perfect um, moment to kind of elevate looking at a herd. <laughs> Cows Which is magical on its own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad it, uh, it that moment, finding that moment was was exciting, I think. And that Anna could draw it too. Yep. Because <laughs> that's yep. a, <laughs> yeah, that's a tricky one. That was another tricky request for sure. Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I wanted to offer one more recommendation. And that's while, while doing my research for this, um, I came across Bear World Magazine. Well, now, as a straight cis dude, right, this was my first time visiting the site, probably not surprising anyone listening, but they have a really <laughs> great comics column that's written by Matt Kamen that's definitely oh. worth checking out. It's focused on queer comics and identity, um, so I, I will, everybody should go check it out. It's really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, Matt um, also, like, he just really understood Trick Pony and what we were going for. and. Um, yeah, has a great column, uh, is doing right now like a retrospective of um, gay comics, which was like an anthology that all, all of well, all of us of a certain age <laughs> was sort of like the place to be at that time. And and uh, yeah, how I've met a lot of friends in the industry. So that is some good, um, yeah, and that's got some good, great background and stuff on that stuff, but yeah, he's a wonderful writer, and um, definitely that's cool that you found him. He also writes for Gaming Magazine, too, which is 
um, how I discovered him. But yeah, yeah, yeah that's very cool. Airwolves. Well, I was scared for a second. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, I didn't know. I'd do my research. Yeah. I'll, I'll go anywhere, you know, and like check things yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. That's being open. Yeah, that's how you find new stuff, right? That open mindedness. And 100%. That's cool. Well, Greg, yeah. thanks for hanging, hanging out with me on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, man. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your support of, of my books. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's really important getting the word out and helping build these these books and getting people to expose to them. So I really, really, really thank you. Appreciate Well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Eddie. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Eddie. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.